listener. Hello everyone, Greg Rust and Nadine Armstrong with you. This is the What's Under the Bonnet podcast and something that we've introduced that's a little new this year. We've brought it in in recent months, the 2024 new Polish shiny. We're calling it the What Report. How are you? I'm really well. How are you? I do love the What Report because you never know what our fearless producer Kelsey might have found in her travels throughout the week. She's on the line, in the studio, good to go, and it looks like she's ready to kind of box on with the headlines. How are you? Oh, guys, I'm revved up. I know that when we were speaking about the government last week, you you dozed off a little bit, Rusty, but I implore <laughs> you to stay alert for this one because okay. Okay. finally I Australia has announced their new vehicle efficiency standard. This is our version of the fuel efficiency standards. So the proposed standards are really going to be throwing the cat amongst the pigeons on an industry level. Why is this? Because the government has essentially rejected the car industry's position and lumped heavy 4x4s such as a Toyota Land Cruiser into the tougher passenger vehicle segment, which will drive their and other ICE vehicles prices up considerably. But for EV drivers, this is good news. The announcement will likely lead to a wider and cheaper range of EV. So, you know, we've been waiting for these for a really long time. Now that we've got them, was it worth the wait? Feels like a bit of a double-edged sword, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's tricky. You know, can we not have our cake and eat it too? (laughs) Mm. This includes plug-in hybrid vehicles for Mm. memory as well. So, uh, I mean, a couple of things for me to to take away here. Australia has such a thirst for four-by-fours and that style of lifestyle. So long as we can get supply of that style of thing and that it does ultimately drive prices in the right direction here because people are hurting out there at the moment, aren't they? So if we're going to have a scenario where we raise the prices of non-EVs because we want to do the right thing by the environment, that's that's great. But so long as the prices come down for the EV segment and we can try and actually help people in an economic sense at the same time. Absolutely. Anyone that's looking to buy an EV, this is great news. This is great. Anyone that owns mm, Ford Ranger, Toyota Hilux, Land Cruiser, maybe, yeah, maybe not so much because this is all sort of pegged around the the CO2 emissions, you know, per kilometre per car. And then that's arched sort of all the way over the top of, you know, a, a manufacturer's product offering. So, you know, it's it's a tricky thing to understand, but it will be very interesting to see how this one rolls out and how it's accepted. For me, playing a little bit of devil's advocate, I want to make sure that the government also does the right thing with any penalty in that regard and puts it back into roads or the right sort of places so that it's not just a clip of the ticket on one side of the ledger here. Absolutely. Well, to switch things up a little bit and stay with me here, when I say Mr Bean, what do you guys think of? (laughs) Nadine, Nadine thinks of Greg Rust, her co-host, basically, doesn't she? <laughs> I think of the Oracle. Well, if you are British, you might actually think Evie Saboteur because Rowan Atkinson, the actor behind the beloved Mr Bean, he has been blamed for the slumping EV sales in the House of Lords. Now, Atkinson, he is a, a very well-known car enthusiast and he actually wrote an article is. in 2023 in The Guardian that cast doubt on just how green EVs 
are. And he actually said he that he felt duped uh, by the sustainability promise that EVs gave. The House of Laws recently claimed that this widely spread article damaged public perception of EVs and contributed to the slumping sales. Is this just the worst case of finger pointing? Come on, Mr. Mm. Bean, Rowan Atkinson. I mean, for me, he's proper car guy, right? And he has done some decent homework around this article. Whether you think he's right or wrong is, is uh, you know, a matter of opinion. I think this piece goes on to say that there's been a like a UK think tank that has endeavoured to debunk some of his claims and so on. For me, don't you reckon it's actually about car companies, the industry and so on, maybe putting their arm around Rowan Atkinson and sharing their side of the story. So if they feel like he isn't fully up to speed with the latest information, well, he's a car guy. Go and talk to him about it. Get him on side. He's actually been an EV driver. Let, let him know. Bring him up yeah, to speed. totally. And also he's not bringing up anything new. All the stuff that he's talking about is, is the kind of things that we've been reading about and people gripe about. So he wants people to look at EVs as a, as a whole, not just tailpipe emissions as well. So I think he's bringing up lots of valid points, but, you know, let's not blame it on him. It's like trying to say the Simpsons can predict the future, right? Look, guys, I promise you I didn't just put this next headline in here because I'm a massive Swifty and that's the only reason why I watched the Super Bowl <laughs> recently. It's good with me. Someone Someone called the news director. How did this slip in? Oh, I don't know. Absolute mystery. But if you did watch the Super Bowl like I did, we've got to talk about the Super Bowl ads, of course, and there were some great ones in there. And EVs, of course, made an appearance. Christopher Walken made an appearance on the BMW i5 M60 electric sedan ad. Kia had a very heartfelt moving ad about the EV9. Um, and my personal favourite, which technically isn't electric and technically isn't a car was the Kawasaki business in the front party in the back ad showcasing their off-road range and a wide range of mullets too. I love the Super Bowl and the ads are as just as big as the game in many respects. They're just as big as all the entertainment that goes around it. What's the crazy number now? I think it's 7 million bucks to run a 30 second ad. I mean, it's absolutely nuts. So if you're going to go to that level, You've got to have a bit of fun with it. You've got to have a bit of creativity around it and so on because it is just so powerful. For those car companies, um, I, I think that kind of investment, I wouldn't say it's, uh, you know, it's it's small, but from a return point of view, what's the numbers? 103 million people worldwide watching. That's just mega. And then add to that all of our listeners. <laughs> I love, you've got the BMW i5 M60 Beast and then you've got the Kia EV9. It's like from super sedan to a family SUV. So just full props for that, I think. Good representation, I think. Do you reckon more people are going to be driving around in a, in a BMW i5 going, Christopher, walk in here? I don't think the BMW i5 drivers are going to have mullets, let's just say that. <laughs> All right, that is it. Well done. Well done, Kelsey. Powering again. That is it for the latest edition of our EV News. Time to check out what's happening in the marketplace with our good buddy, his Fian Tour. Renault's first EV passenger car arrives in showrooms. A new electric delivery van also rolls into Aussie dealerships and the new vehicle efficiency standard creates more questions than answers. Salutations, everyone. Senior editor Fian Tor here with what's new on the EV market. First up, French carmaker Renault has launched the Megane E-Tech midsize SUV in Australia. Priced from $64,990, the midsize electric crossover will rival the Tesla Model 3 and Polestar 2 and scored a reasonably solid 73 out of 100 in our launch review, which you can read on the carsales.com.au website. 
Only one Renault Megane E-Tech model grade is available at present, powered by a single electric motor that draws power from a modest 60 kilowatt hour lithium ion battery pack claimed to deliver a cruising range of 454 kilometers. Next up, another new EV has started rolling into showrooms in Australia, this time a Chinese delivery van. Dubbed the LDV E-Deliver 7, the three-seat commercial vehicle is priced from just over $63,000 and is being pitched as a green rival for the Toyota Hiace. It's powered by a 77-kilowatt-hour lithium-ion battery and has a range of just over 300 kilometres per charge and is a far more resolved commercial vehicle than LDV's Slapdash ET60 electric ute. That was a bit of a disaster. The electric van was awarded a reasonable 70 out of 100 score during our launch review, which is live on the car sales website. And now, in what is perhaps the biggest EV news this month, is the announcement of the new Vehicle Efficiency Standard, or NVES, whose first CO2 targets will be implemented in less than a year, from January 1st, 2025. If car brands exceed those targets, which will cover their entire portfolio and not individual vehicles, they will be heavily fined by the government. On the flip side, car brands that meet or exceed their targets get credits that can be used to offset potential fines or even traded with other manufacturers. The top-selling vehicle type in Australia today, one-ton utes, will need to reduce their fuel use by upwards of 60% by 2029, which will be a Herculean challenge. The Ford Ranger Hybrid is already coming in 2025, followed by an electric Kia ute in 2026, along with several other electrified Chinese utes. And we'll finish up with a quick roundup of EV news, including Vietnamese carmaker VinFast's confirmation that it will start building electric vehicles in right-hand drive. Many of its EVs were developed right here in Australia before COVID saw the brand move vehicle development overseas. And while none of its EVs have been confirmed for Australia just yet, it's certainly a promising move from the Asian startup. US EV brand Rivian has teased its all-new midsize SUV this month, Dubbed the R2, it is expected to be a huge seller and will go head-to-head with the Tesla Model Y. Italian brand Abarth has revealed its 600E, a flamboyant hot hatch that promises to be a genuine pocket rocket with loads of character. Sadly, there's no plans to bring it to Australia at present, but we'll monitor the situation closely as the fiery Bambino would certainly find favour here. Sports car icon Porsche has all but confirmed it will deploy an all-electric 911 coupe in future and that it would probably be slightly smaller than the current petrol-powered 911. No word on release dates or vital statistics, but this is nevertheless very, very exciting news. Lastly, I'm in Sweden at the moment, undertaking a first drive of the all-new Polestar 3 Large EV and will bring you our first thoughts on that new vehicle next month ahead of its local launch in June 2024. And that's what's current in the EV market. Thank you, Fian. Time to meet an EVer on this episode. We got a lovely email recently, and the guest you're about to meet today has a thirst for information in this space, enjoys listening to the pod, which we're chuffed about. What about the roll-up of cars, though, Nads, that he's owned over time? I know, I know. It's a bit of an envious uh, garage lineup there. We go from the studio to the Hunter region of New South Wales to Cessnock, where we find the station officer for the Cessnock Fire Brigade. He's on the line. Hello, Mark. Hello, guys. How are you going? We're talking to Mark Davison today. Now, firstly, can we go to the cars that you have owned 
along the way. So XU1s, Falcon Cobras when you were a little bit younger. There's been some European makes as well, hasn't there? I've always been one of these people that likes to experience different cars. So I think my first car was a Hillman Imp, <laughs> which set me on the path for something you know, a little bit unusual, a little bit unique. And <laughs> yeah. since then, I've had everything from the, your classic Australian muscle cars all the way through to European luxury type cars to sports cars. It, it's been a bit of a journey. So this brings us to the million dollar question, of course. What made you switch to an EV? It was something very different for me. It was a new motoring experience. I know a lot of people have environmental reasons and uh, money-saving reasons, and that comes into it. But for me, it was just something cool and different. So as you probably know, that very car that you have, the MG4, the 64 kilowatt, was the car sales car of the year. So has it lived up to the hype? We were all thoroughly impressed. What about you? Uh, In a word, yes. (laughs) It's a brilliant little car. It's quiet, quick, comfortable. It's cheap to run. I did a little bit of homework. I did put in a charger in my garage before I got the car. It requires a little bit more planning, but it's it's been great. I, I really don't have any complaints. And the build quality is amazing. I get in the Outlander now, which is quite a nice car, and it, it feels like a tractor. <laughs> it, it's noisier. It's It's got a higher level of NVH. It's, it's just not as nice. I tend to drive my car all the time now. In addition to that, your work demands that you do some Ks too, Mark, doesn't it? So how has it been in terms of of some of the driving that you've been doing? With planning, it's been easy. Most of the places I go, I jump on one of the apps or I I jump on the computer, I check out whether there's any sort of charging, if it's going to exceed the range of the car. Generally, there's a charger somewhere. I work around that. I get about 400 Ks out of the NG. That's enough to get me most places and back. But if it doesn't, I can usually top up quickly somewhere while I grab a coffee and it really hasn't been an issue. Uh, the first time I used it for a long highway run, I came quite close because I hadn't realised how much less efficient EVs are on the highway and I lost quite a bit of range at sitting on 110. Mm-hmm. But the only real close calls I've had is because I've done all the pre-planning and then got to the only charger at a spot and it's been out of order. There's been a couple where I've got down to 3 and 4%, which were a little bit worrying. Mark, you work in fire and rescue. Is it safe to say we're not going to see electric fire trucks anytime soon? Are we going to see electric fire truck in your garage? Believe it or not, there, there's already quite a few electric fire trucks running around worldwide. Most of them PHEV type of arrangement. I think statistically about 90% of the calls that the fire service go to in most places could be covered by a full EV. But for those long duration jobs, we uh, tend to have series hybrid trucks with a diesel generator. Um, they're in use in the US, in Europe, in Canada, and the ACT Fire Service actually has a number in use at the moment. So they're perfect for us because our workforce is already in the habit of we go out to a call, we come back, we plug our truck in because all of the electronics that are on it now, if you don't plug them in, they go flat anyway. So, Which is exactly why the ACT have taken them on. I mean, we... We're a fairly big government department in New South Wales, so we tend to have a bit of inertia. It takes a while for things to to soak in. But that's why they use them, because we don't really have to do much training to utilise them. I mean, what would the typical kilometre range be for a normal call-out? Most of our calls tend to be within sort of 20 minutes duration and within probably five or six kilometres of actual travelling time. 
Fire stations tend to have a, a fire district that they work in mm. and they tend to be reasonably small in most urban areas. Now that you've converted, what about a, a dream machine going forward? Is there a, an EV that you would perhaps like to own? I think I've got one on a novated lease to take advantage of the fringe benefit tax exemption here in New South Wales. Um, so I've got probably three years and then the plan is to upgrade to an MG Cyberster, the new convertible. So that's my midlife crisis car. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't you let anyone tell you that. It's been fantastic to get you on the podcast today and share a little of your car journey, the switch to an MG4 and the switch to EVs. We know that you love listening to uh, all the different forms of podcasts and things that are out there in relation to this stuff. Thanks for being a loyal listener and for coming on and telling us a bit about it today. Uh, It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. That is it for this edition of The What Report. On our next episode, we're going to be taking a bit of a microscope to charging and the Australian electricity landscape. Where does our electricity come from. We're going to peel it right back. How will renewable energy sources impact the reliability, the cost of electricity, and what does the charging tech of tomorrow look like? It's such an important thing. And I know we we do talk about this regularly on the show, but it changes so regularly as well. So I think it's something we really need to keep revisiting to see how are people not only what are they buying, but how are they charging it? That is it for today. Nadine and I have used all of the budget. We cannot make a Super Bowl ad for what's under the bonnet. (laughs) We'll catch you next time, everyone. Bye for now. Listener.